Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today from across the pond is Chris Hogg. Chris is the Chief Revenue Officer for Lodeme. They are one of the companies that is really sitting at the epicenter of arguably the most interesting place and space in the business right now, which is that intersection of making data smarter, faster, and easier to use for digital marketers. He's been with Lodeme for a long time. We were just uh, half joking that you have uh, exceeded the average tenure uh, over a decade of most people in the business, certainly in the newest, hottest part of the business. Uh, and it's a pleasure to get to talk to you today, Chris. So welcome. Thank you, Matt. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here chatting to you today. Great. So, Chris, we one of the, there's no one way that we do these things, but usually something in someone's history jumps out and that serves as our sort of diving board into the deep end. And with you, Chris, I thought we'd go back. It's almost 25 years now. And I love the inclusion of the word junior in the first part of your title as a web designer and production assistant going back to independent magazines. And I'd love to start with that very beginning and the specific word junior. I guess that's just north of intern. It's certainly a long time. And uh, interestingly, it's not on my um, CV, but I, I did intern with independent magazines and kind of kept coming back to them and ended up with a, a permanent role at some point. But um, I guess from, from me in my kind of early days, I was, you know, very sure that, hey, I'm going to go into graphic design. I'm going to design magazines and newspapers, desktop publishing. Um, and I did that for independent independent magazines, like through internship. And I used to go back there and cover holiday and sick um, sick leave and stuff um, while I was in education. But um, yeah, finally got the opportunity to join them. I, I moved into that role, not really with much experience of the internet, but taught myself HTML, taught myself how to code and, you know, turn print print design into digital design, online design, and uh, kind of really learned, learned my trade way back 25 years ago with, with The Independent. So we'll dig into what digital meant in 1999, but we share uh, uh, something in that uh, I also worked and had a number of internships. And one of the things that I, I think is so important for young people today is that real world work experience. You know, unless you want to go and be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, something where you have that additional degree, which leads you right into a trade. Um, I, I find today that, you know, not as many young people are embracing that pathway of real world experience and internships. For me, it was invaluable. I'm curious how you look back upon those days, you know, for you. Yeah, well, for me, it was real, real excitement, you know, going into an office environment, the hustle and bustle of the, uh, the floor with, um, you know, the colleagues, especially back when you're working for print businesses, um, you know, you've got newsrooms, etc. And, and I'd say today, I think it might even be harder for for youngsters to to get that experience with the post-COVID sort of uh, hybrid working. Um, it's certainly something that plays on my mind when we're bringing in younger first job, second job as in, into our business. Are we giving them enough attention really to get that firsthand experience? And, and I also think uh, another exciting part of that is you, 
you you get exposed to these large cities wherever you are in the world. You know, for me, it was London, and I was kind of hooked from from day one, um, being around the the world of media in in central London. And I think that's an important part for the the work culture and the learning experiences also to experience the the environment around the office and the the busy cities and the business that goes on and the after work drinks, which um, back in the 90s and still to an element now was a big part of London's sort of media culture as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I interned when I went to university in Atlanta and worked for the Atlanta Chamber of Commerce, which would sort of be like a little bit like London and Partners, I suppose, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the big newspaper in town. And same thing, you learn what it was like to be in that work environment. We'd go, ironically, to Reggie's Tavern. It was a British tavern uh, in the old Omni, which was CNN's original headquarters way back when. I think it's all gone now. And that's really where you cut your teeth and you learn, you know, how to work in a business environment. And, uh, you know, especially today with work culture and the work from home culture, you know, I worry that that next generation won't have those types of opportunities as much. Yeah, well, it's it's also very much it's not about learning your trade. It's also how to learn and interact with individuals that you've probably not been exposed to before, different cultures, different personalities, you know, just the whole internship, the whole early years of working really sets you up, I I strongly believe, you know, for for the foundations of your career and and what you build from. I, I think we see the world quite similarly there. So let's talk about what it meant to be in digital as a junior web designer. I love that. Going back to 1999, the landscape was a little bit different then. Yeah, it was. And I'm going back to, it was just before the the dot-com burst. Um, You know, for people back in the industry, back in those days, will remember, obviously, there was a little bit of a a decline on the industry. But, you know, I'm also going back before, you know, the Googles and the the search engines and, you know, the ISPs kind of ruled the the digital space. Um, um, The large newspaper groups and everything were really just getting into online and and they were learning how to monetize the the digital the digital elements i think you know it's probably only about five six years ago that some of the the newspaper groups you know their their main revenue actually succeeded itself on digital then it then it did print so it was a very very different different world back then and you know the the internet dare i say it was a lot smaller um, you know, and some of the big names that kind of come and started that are, you know, they've been acquired or 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 disappeared over the years. And, you know, looking at today's ecosystem with with the large sort of big US tech players, you know, that they weren't there then, um, you know, when we started. And it, it was very much uh, an open book for the people that worked in the industry to write the script a little bit. So it was super exciting and it was all learning. You know, we were all learning how to monetize, how to publish, um, you know, the, the the users and the customer base and loyalty that a lot of these newspaper groups just had through the the print copy. You know, you go and buy your newspaper every morning or at the weekend, you generally navigated to, to the same um, titles and the internet was kind of seen as, hey, it's just an extension, but, you know, it, it evolved into this open-ended of choice for consumers but back then it certainly wasn't wasn't the same you 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 kind of had your big isps and then you had your big newspapers that 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 were uh distributing content content on it 
So the space that Loda May occupies today didn't exist at all back then. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. And, and as we look back, and, and I'm not trying to be a, uh, you know, there's an expression we have over here, Monday morning quarterback. You know, the NFL games are played on Sunday. It's a lot easier, you know, to review everything after it's already happened, right? But if we go back in history and we look at that tenure you had with Independent and look at the newspaper industry, the magazine industry more broadly, one could argue that in the last 20 years, those businesses have gotten smaller and other genres of media, radio and outdoor through digital reinvention have somehow found new energy and new growth opportunities. Do you think that the newspaper and magazine business broadly could have played it differently? Yeah, that's that is a very good question. And I, and I think there's some key milestones um, over the last 20, 25 years that I, I, I guess the first one was, you know, the the Google and the search engines sort of opening up um, content um to a wider set of consumers, so there was more choice. Uh, I I would say then probably on top social media coming in as it is is also a milestone. You know, user generated content that you know print and publishing newspaper groups have had to learn to to play alongside or partner, adopt or bring that into their offering. I, I guess open programmatic was a a big milestone in terms of monetization. Like uh, I go back to those early days and. You know the concept of using audience data. You know it didn't it didn't exist um, in in digital media. It, it was very much about um, you know CPM placement um, against context or or vertical. So so the industry has has definitely changed a lot. I I think it would be naive to say that it couldn't have been done different. Um, but I I think generally there's there's no one organization big enough to make that change. So, so I guess as a collective, the industry has kind of moved, you know, towards that sort of open programmatic. I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a turn back in terms of fortune to, to content producers um, of late, where I think the industry has very much looked, okay, look, that it's the cornerstone, it's the bedrock of, uh, of digital is to have premium content. The part that they play, I think, in in the industry that might have been overlooked for for a little bit, it you know, is coming back at the forefront. And we need a healthy publisher. We need healthy content to to have a healthy internet. Um, otherwise, there's there's not much to monetize. Yeah. No. Very well said. All right. So let's let's get back on the uh, the Chris Hogg horse here and keep going forward. You teach yourself HTML and move on to work in ad ops and managing tech for a pretty big company, Orange UK, sort of the birth of mobile in many ways. That must have been an exciting time in a very different way. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, as I say, I, I always sort of set out to be a graphic designer and, you know, move from print to digital. It's similar the way that I got into ad operations was kind of a similar story. Uh, Back then, the you know ad servers weren't really a thing, and they just were starting to come in to to play. You know, we kind of built our own mechanisms to deliver ads, and then ad servers come onto the scene. And um, at the time, I'd kind of been moved from designing websites to designing online advertising, so it was kind of 
oh, this this new concept of an ad server that we need to bring in, who's who's going to go and source and look after one of them? And it was like, the guy that designs the ads is uh, obviously is the, the right person for uh, bringing in that kind of technology. And that that's really my first exposure through my career to the world of ad operations, ad servers. And then later on through Orange, we were very sort of early adopters of starting to use audience data, and, you know, on top of those ad servers. But yeah, so that that's where that come in. We worked with a company very new. They were later acquired by DoubleClick. That was acquired by Google. It was um, Folk, Folk Ad Server. So I kind of brought that on, set that up, and just kind of, okay, now I'm the owner of uh, digital ad serving and, and operations, and it, it kind, of, kind of grew from there, really. Tremendous. And did the tech come naturally to you? I mean, for me, I'm immersed in a project night right now dealing with uh, the science of the climate crisis. And I am wildly uncomfortable when I'm sitting with these folks from Harvard and MIT. You know, I struggled to even graduate from university. At my university, Emory, we had a lab science requirement. And to graduate, undergraduate, you had to pass a lab science. And it took me three tries to get that done just to get the lowest possible acceptable grade. Did that stuff come naturally to you? It did. Don't, don't you know? Don't don't ask me to build an ad server, but it, it you know to bring it in and implement it into into the infrastructure of the business. It it did, and I kind of found a, a little bit of a passion. You know, the the whole advertising world excited me, and you'll see through my career as I've gone from design through to operating ad servers to running development teams to eventually um, going to work for a, a tech company in, in Lowesme to actually go and sell the, the products to, to to other businesses. So yeah, it did come natural and it was something that uh, I found very rewarding in, in bringing that technology in uh, uh, and then building strategies around how to use it for monetization. Love it. And you continue to go and grow. You have a, a two-year tenure at Unanimous, similar uh ops and tech roles, and then you become a founder, which I love in your resume. Can we talk about your entrepreneurial tenure and founder of Tech Connections Limited, which is so interesting? Yeah, Tech Connections was, uh, and you'll kind of see how that leads into to, to low to me. I, I set up a company to rep US tech firms in um, in Europe and Lotome was my first customer and, and funny enough, my only customer. Uh, I, I ended up moving over to work with them full time after kind of establishing their their footprint. My my original concept was, you know, to bring multiple businesses, but something clicked at clicked at Lotome. You know, I just just had a real good feeling about the business, loved the founders love the culture there and you know it was hard for me not to move on to a permanent role when it was offered to me there and you know I, I look back as I say that was about that was about 11 years ago and you know we've establishedly established that then was the first international office for the for the business and we we've grown that that business to be you know a substantial part of low to me's um revenue etc and now we sit here with multiple markets, you know, across the world where we did where we did similar things. But it, it was definitely that that kind of first um, for me and for the for the, for the company. Fantastic stuff, and it sounds like it was sort of a natural fit right from the beginning. 
Yeah, well, I worked, you know, um, part of my roles at um, Unanimous was um, we we were also Lotomay's first customer in in Europe. You know, we we were again, you know, as I said, back in my orange days, we we started to play with audience data. And that was very early for the European, for the UK market. And um, naturally, in my unanimous days, when the new emergence of different types of technology come onto the market, I think there was a lot of what was then called behavioral um, technology, the likes of audience science and, and a few other competitors. Uh, and then, you know, in the US market, the, the kind of the launch of the, the audience management, the data management platforms, and, and again, at unanimous very early in adopting that technology, which is always been a, a, a little thing of mine was you know testing out new technology early and we were one of the early adopters of such te technology in Europe so I already had a relationship and you know really had a good feeling about the business as a customer great stuff so let's dig in here uh because it's an area that is so fascinating uh, so many of our constituents at advertising week are really trying so hard to learn this space and you know, we're moving towards that cookie-less environment. So, so much happening. Talk about what Lodeme is doing, that, that notion of, you know, data collaboration. I know you've got a, a particular platform, Spherical, that I'd love to get into. Uh, I want to talk about the growth of the company going back to your beginning of your tenure to where you are now, literally all over the world. But let's really dig into, you know, that notion of data collaboration. Yeah, so I think, and and it's something that Lotomay as a business has has always done very well is to to remain relevant for so long. The business was founded in uh, two thousand and six, and I think I'm just trying to think when I I joined them. I think it was um, when did I join them? I think it was around two thousand and thirteen. You know, so so I joined them already. You know, they were they were established U.S. business, but you know they they've remained relevant through the products that they built over the years and the, the evolution of keeping track and and in and a lot of elements being ahead of the digital curve. You know, always having technology and tools that support our customers' needs for them to be able to deliver their business and um, data collaboration is um, you know the the latest sort of um, offerings that we we put out to the market uh, you know really enabling um, second party or you know one-to-one um, -one sort of data sharing um, in in secure environments where not necessarily you're even targeting the original data set you're you're kind of learning from that so data collaboration is really for our brand our agency and our publisher clients to be able to securely um, partner and share that data without it really leaving their instances of, a, of our of our products. Um, it's definitely something that um, working across a very vast range of customers, you know, our customers are, are still digital publishers, they're advertising agencies, they're, they're brands. So really sitting across all of those different um, customer type, we get a a unique perspective of okay what what works for all parts of the industry what works for our publishers but also work for our brand clients and data collaboration is a, a classic example where we've took that information back from the market from our customers and are offering solutions that really drive their their needs for today and into the future um and as i say we you know we've done that through my 11 years and you know through the businesses 18 years is okay, what's next? What do we need to build to, to support our customers? But also what do we need to build 
to support an open internet, an internet where any type of business thrives from your, your content creators through your digital publishers, through to working with advertising agencies, through to working with, with the brands. It, it's a unique sort of value chain to keep a healthy open internet. All parts of that value chain need to obviously be earning revenue, but fairly in, in accordance to what they're doing as part of that value chain. And you mentioned the word, but it's such a hot button today, much more so than it was 2013, 2014, and that's privacy. Yeah, it's uh, obviously from um, sitting here in London and um, you know viewing privacy um, from a, a very early stage of GDPR, it's a good thing for the industry. I, I go back to that sort of those early days. And as I say, we were kind of writing the script. We, we were trying to find what does digital mean? What does online mean? How do we monetize it? Um, and, I, and I think probably the last six, seven years, the industry sort of come back a little bit and a little bit of a reality check that, okay, we, we're not we're not in startup mode anymore. You know, the, the industry's got 20, 25 years behind it, et cetera. And, you know, how can we constantly look to improve that? Uh, and I think it, I'd, I'd say it's fair to say we've probably lost the consumer a little bit over that time and, you know, come back to actually reset some of those and re, I don't like to say police ourselves, but, you know, to, to put checks and balances in and to be more transparent to the consumer. And I guess, you know, always look at things when, when I see a privacy notice pop up, I know what it means and I know what types of data is going to be used. And I, and I know the, the risk for giving my value exchange for free content for being able to collect certain data and attributes. Um, but I guess the average consumer doesn't. Um, and I think that's where we lost a little bit of track in terms of that we, we need to educate and bring the consumer along that you know we we are collecting certain pieces of data but there's an awful lot we're not collecting and you know i i think the consumer only ever hears the bad stories of uh you know data and data leakage and, and stuff and they never really get to see it from uh the point of view of that value exchange you know you you can't go down and buy the newspaper etc and I think today the internet's got so big you can't have a subscription for everything you want to view on the internet um so so there there has to be that value exchange through through the content and through through advertising but i think what the industry has probably started to do with a little bit of a a, a nudge maybe from privacy um, and from governments and stuff is to actually start being more transparent what we are doing and um really allowing the the consumers to understand what that value exchange is you know it, it is free content but they are giving up some data and some digital um digital um consent etc along the way to 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 get that value exchange right and as you said it, it is anchored in that notion of fair value going back and forth both ways you mentioned gdpr and lodame has been there for sort of this whole bumpy ride one of the things that's an odd dichotomy is the technologies are global the brands that are leveraging the technologies often are global. The regulators are local. And there's huge disparity uh, around the world. You guys are based over here in the US, but obviously very prominent in the UK and Latin America and MENA in the Asia Pacific region. Talk about how Lodame is navigating that global landscape 
uh, and we'll call it privacy. We'll say it your way, Chris. That's only fair. Uh, as you navigate that landscape uh, globally, but very different sets of rules from place to place. Yeah, and and I think that we we talk sort of very open about G, GDPR or CCPA, but there you know there there's always been data and privacy laws in in every and every country that that um, that digital operates in, and, and I guess GDPR kind of brought it to the forefront of doing something around you know actual digital um, data consumption and and rights of the user and consent. And I think that kind of opened up um, the the different markets to start looking at digital data separately from you know consumer privacy or, uh, and just general data privacy sort of regulations. And um, I think where Europe kind of led the way was to also work with its industry bodies to build frameworks around um, how do we actually do that on online? How how do we become more transparent to the end user and how do we put mechanisms for users to say I, I don't consent or I do consent um, to the use of my data and I think that's where we're going to see more of that through through other countries and um, that that hasn't really happened today you know that 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 kind of framework built and supported by the IAB in Europe and uh, I, I definitely think that's something that we'll see in the United States soon um, and 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 I think the United States brings another challenge to to global business, but also local businesses that operate for the U.S. because it is state driven rather than country specific driven, and uh, and there can be small nuances in state sort of privacy law, etc. To the main part, most um, most countries have kind of picked up and built on top of the GDPR set of you know guidelines um there are a few states that are slightly different but to the main point for a business like us obviously we're looking for okay we to be able to to put a service across we have to look for the strictest denominator and then try and apply that across across all markets um you know digital is very customizable but to the point of having we need to locate the user and get the right sort of consent and stuff uh, becomes challenging um and I, I think it's gonna only become more challenging and it, it's something that we're always trying to navigate through and the role of Lodome in working collaboratively with your clients as we sort of evolve for you from that ops tech innovation into a chief revenue officer role the bottom line implications of successful navigation here are pretty darn important uh, yeah absolutely so you know if you want to if you want to run a business digitally today then you know privacy has to be the forefront of everything that you do um you'll hear a lot of people say privacy by design you know i'm not not sure <laughs> it's thrown around a, a lot in the industry today but you know you've got to have it at the heart of your organization from you know your your planning through to your product development through through to your sales and and I guess from a, a sales point of view, um, it adds cycles. You know, adds cycles to the to the sales um, process. It adds cycles to the contracting and legal process. You know, there there's more individuals you need to speak to from from a company. You know, 
back in the day, you speak to a business owner and, and maybe a general counsel at, at um, a, a company. Now, you know, there's the security teams, there's the DPA teams, there's the privacy teams, there's the legal team, you know, that, that just do paperwork. So um, you you learn to navigate that and you, you as a salesperson, you have to learn fast and you do have to understand this privacy stuff in your head and, you know, um, cause you are, you are talking to a very diverse set of people with different sort of knowledge and skill sets across that. Yeah, it's almost as if the hundred meter hurdles has become a 400 meter hurdle. <laughs> it can feel like that sometimes, but, but all good. Chris, talk about that evolution for you at ops and a lot of the internal facing technology, very different role from chief revenue officer, which is. So, certainly some internal, but a lot of external facing work for you. hundred percent. Yeah. Talk, talk about that evolution and got to be pretty exciting, but really puts you in a very different place in space. Yeah. And I guess when, when I was doing sort of the operational stuff, I always saw myself as being a commercially minded operations, um, um, sort of individual in the teams. And I went out and did a lot of sort of co-pitching with the sales team, you know, to bring, bring along the, uh, the technical guy when the conversations get a little bit uh, a little bit deeper in the weeds so i was so towards the end of my time at, you know sort of orange and unanimous um I, I was almost sort of doing sales engineering type type roles as well um and i guess i i bought a lot of tech um you know a lot of people come in to try and sell me stuff for, for you know for my for my own needs and uh, i guess i just see that as my next step you know i i could sell that you know that's a challenge. That'll be a challenge. Let's uh, let's let's get out there and, ma and make that work. And as I said, you know, I, my 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 first thinking was, hey, I've worked with a lot of U.S. companies that, you know, sell into Europe. Um, I could probably add a lot of value there with my network, and um, you know, sort of started to work with uh, with Lotome and um, kind of went from there. Then you know, as I say, sort of built that first office out for them and. Um, been there for, uh, for for 11 years and now looking after their revenue globally. And talk about sort of key milestones along that growth journey of just over a decade. I'm going to uh, take a wild guess that the company you joined bears little resemblance to what Lodeme looks like today in 2024. Yeah, well, it's definitely, uh, you know, as the business evolves, obviously the personnel over the years... Uh, <laughs> certainly changed, although Lodomir, you know, um, I we joked at the start that it's unusual for someone to be at business for for 11 years, but, you know, um, our average tenure is actually quite high. I think globally it's about five years. I think in Europe it's about six, seven years. So, you know, as a business, we we retain, we retain good talent um, and it really comes down to the culture that, Andy and the executive team have built, um, you know, at times it does feel, uh, feels a little bit like a family. Um, we've known each other for, for, for a long time, but yeah, the technology's changed. Um, our client, you know, we, we, we worked solely with premium publishers in our early days and then moved across to adding agencies to, to our client base, then moving across to adding brands direct to our client base. So, we keep evolving and diversifying with the um, with, with the markets. Um, I'd say also COVID was um, an interesting change. I think it taught a lot of businesses and, you know, especially U US based businesses, a lot of senior roles were 
in the United States. We're, we're a US company. Um, we have regional offices. But I, I think that whole remote working, okay, we can, you know, do this differently. We can have different positions around um, the different countries. And, you know, some of these hubs actually are, are better, better through communication passes with other offices, you know, in sort of time zones. Uh, so, so I think, you know, COVID played a big part in terms of the change of what our business look, looks like today. You know, we, we used to all have our hubs go into the different offices, whether, whether it was London, Sydney, Mumbai, or, you know, New York, et cetera. Um, but we are, we are spread out across the world a little bit. And I, and I think, you know, we're from a business, we've grown from that. We've grown from, from having a bit of diversity across the senior team into, into other markets. Um, I also think, you know, our remote working and stuff is also helps our customers, you know, where we have more around the clock kind of, um, you know, support and working hours. Um, yeah, very, very, very different today. But I think it's hard. It still feels like the same company. Um, uh, and I, and I think you know people will ask me all the time. So why eleven years? Why 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 did you stay at Low to Me for eleven years? And you know the way I've always answered that is that they've always gave me an excuse to say a stay. They've always gave me a new challenge, something something I can sort of cut my teeth teeth into, and you know progress my career and also make the company that I work for a stronger company. You hear often about an excuse to leave, you hear less about an excuse to stay. So I think that's that's a absolutely a terrific story. You have the benefit of global perspective. Are there certain parts of the world, Chris, where you see different growth, faster growth, embrace of a different behavior that you think is representative of something that we'll likely see grow to? The rest of the world yeah it's a real interesting question and you know from from my experience of sitting in front of um, clients and prospects you know a lot of the time you're you're speaking to businesses they operate in one country and it's a little bit like okay my, my market is unique um and and yes all markets are unique they have local nuances to to the markets and the business but it's interesting looking at kind of the digital ecosystem you know from a from a global from a from afar is they're just at different stages in the evolution um you know so some countries that they haven't got to where another country's got to yet and sometimes they jump they they skip they skip a stage um but generally you do see you do see a flow in terms of maturity uh, and i think that's what a lot of it is it's it's where is that market on the maturity scale of adopting technology and that's generally as you kind of see that see that flow through through the different markets most markets get to where the other market has been unless you know unless there's been a a leap in technology or or a leap in sort of um dynamics or strategy where they might jump over a, a stage but generally we we all head towards sort of that 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 path whether it was to embrace programmatic or whether now it's to embrace privacy and consumer consumer consent um gen generally they most markets will follow follow a path and a pattern um but just with some of those local nuances and market market dynamics sort of mixed in and if you're going uh to the casino in uh, Leicester Square and putting some money down on highest growth part of the world where do you put your money well yeah that's uh 
That's a really interesting one. I, I, I think we're going to see a lot of growth out of Latin America. Um, that's definitely something that that we're seeing that they're, they're on a growth trajectory. I, I think there's some very large markets um, like India, et cetera, that are, you know, the potential for growth. They they might not be the most lucrative digital markets today, but, you know, you, you can see in the next five, 10 years that, you know, those types of markets are going to, are going to be huge and, you know, the, the world's going to pay a lot of attention. You know, it's like, like Japan that, you know, that that's a market that's come through that and, you know, through that early potential and you know it's starting to become uh, a very important market for most for most global businesses and and i think india and etc some other markets are, are going to follow that that kind of trend but today latin america sh is really starting its uh its trajectory yeah i think you're right i think latam i think um you know japan's give or take a hundred some odd million people india is about 1.4 billion and i think there's a lot of catching up to do and there's a huge dichotomy between that upper tier of wealth and a very big, big, big part of the country that's very, very poor. But uh, you can sort of feel the opportunity there. We were in Mumbai for something a few months ago, and you sort of felt like this might be where the future is. Yeah, well, as you say, the, the 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 population, and you know, there there are some vast uh, differences in kind of uh, personal wealth and stuff. But it's definitely an up and coming economy, and you know, just the pure scale of it just just makes just makes it re really interesting. Yeah, I agree. All right, Chris. So as we start to wrap, one of the things that really pops out about Lodome is you're on every list of hottest, most innovative best, um, winning every award there is to be won within the trade. What are those attributes of the company that really have enabled you to continue to grow and excel? Uh, it sounds like just a really well-run, exciting place uh, with consistency of leadership exhibited by you and some of the other members of the senior team. But there's got to be a little bit of special sauce somewhere for you to keep performing at this level and winning all those accolades. There's there's a few sort of core things. One, you've got to have a great product. As I say, we keep innovating the product to, to meet our customer needs. You've got to have a gauge on what the customers need, what the markets want. You've got, you know, as I say, that kind of that maturity scale as a business, you almost need to be kind of 18 months out in front of the most mature market to try and understand what's what's next and you know keep evolving your product um so you need good products you need good good foresight in terms of what what's next and and a good marketing team doesn't help you know helps as well you know it's you know to to win a few awards and uh, make sure that we're always recognized as one of the leading in this leading uh, businesses in the space well, your team is doing a crack job, as are you. It was a real pleasure to get to spend this time with you. I can't thank you enough for doing this. And uh, what a great story there is to be told. Your story, Chris, and the Lodeme story. Yeah, well, thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to speak to your listeners. Um, yeah, really enjoyed our chat. All right. Cheers. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.